Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. Kaylee Fretz, it's it's Halloween. It's October 31st, and we've got a whole bunch to talk about. I've never actually really been particularly able to get super into Halloween. I don't know why. Uh, but now I have a tiny daughter who's going to be very into it and get me candy. So I'm very excited about that on today's show. Johnny Long, how are you, Johnny? I'm good, thanks, Kaylee. I'm not into Halloween either, um, so it's really? good to be around like-minded people it's only kind of just recently shown up on on the shores of your isle is that true it's been threatening for a while but uh one of the best things my mum ever did was not let us trick or treat because she thought it was a terrible sort of inconvenience for our neighbors um (laughs) and she's very catholic so maybe that's got something to do with it but yeah not not resisting halloween that's what i do Mm. Mm. kit nicholson welcome to the show do you like halloween well i grew up in the middle of nowhere and so we kind of did our own thing <laughs> we'd have uh my mum would put green food dye in milk and we'd have garibaldi biscuits dead fly biscuits i don't know if they've made their way over the pond um that was no. basically and we'd watch a not really very scary movie we were children um in scotland it, there's a halloween's quite a big thing they call it guising hmm. where you dress up in it's not necessarily scary it's just you just dress up and and guise around the town um I've never been to that either. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that verb. Well, it's from disguise, I think. Oh. So you dress up and you go, yeah, door to door. (laughs) Guys. Ah, interesting. I'm learning all sorts of things It becomes a bit of a competition who's dressed up the best. Yeah. I mean, we have a bit of that, obviously, in Mm. the States. We have a fair amount of sort of costume, costume competition sort of thing. Ronan McLaughlin, how are you? And how do you plan to celebrate Halloween this evening? Well, believe it or not, uh, Derry City, where I live, is like one of the capitals of the globe for celebrating Halloween. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, How is such really. a thing determined? <laughs> I don't know, but if you read any reports here locally, that's at least what we're told year after year. And this is the first year in, well, since 2019, we've had proper Derry Halloween celebrations. Mm. So. It would be huge if it wasn't for like Ireland and rain and wind. Um, <laughs> so we're going to mostly spend the evening trying to convince our daughter that she doesn't want to go to see the fireworks. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I think she definitely wants to go see the fireworks. <laughs> she does. 100% yeah. she, chance of that. Mm-hmm. Well, if that wasn't the perfect start to an off-season podcast, I don't know <laughs> what is. We do have a fair amount of bicycle-related things to talk about today. The Tour de France route. And we did have a discussion prior to the podcast recording beginning, uh, whether it was whether I was going to say route or route this entire hour, because I tend to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because, uh, I don't know, the Aussies have confused my brain. Uh, we've decided on route, right? Is that what we've decided on? Definitely. Well, yeah. you, again, you're Definitely. outnumbered, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally outnumbered. So the Tour de France route was announced last week. We're going to dive into... I really like it. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to dive into the sort of the, the nitty gritty, the, 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 the details of that tour route, what we like about it, what we don't, who it might be good for. Yes, we know the tour is very far away, but well, it's the Tour de France. We got to start talking about it now. We've got a couple other little news bits for you as well. Some uh, Doug Ryder is back in the news. And last weekend, the Singapore Criterium went down. Uh, it was, I don't know, looking for an adjective. Amazing. 
Amazing. I was going to offer pretend, but okay. <laughs> pretend. It was the WWE of bike racing. It was. Uh, is what it was over the weekend. And we'll talk about the splendid victory of Jonas Vingago. Uh, one of his only sprint victories of probably his entire career. And uh, we'll talk about how that went down. <laughs> because we think it's hilarious. Let's get into it. To kick things off. Like I said, we've got a couple little news bits. Doug Ryder back in the news. Johnny, uh, what what? The, so Doug Ryder's got a new team, and just just so people recall, uh, Doug Ryder was the man behind the various iterations of Quebeca, um, including the, the the still existing development squad. Uh, but obviously, the the World Tour team folded. Uh, our colleague Ian Trello wrote a quite fascinating piece about. The uh, questionable, highly questionable premier sponsor or, or title sponsor for that team that may have sort of never really existed or never really wanted to give them any money or never had any money to give them to begin with. Uh, anyway, if you haven't if you haven't checked that story out, go check it out. It is up on CyclingTips.com. But Doug is still hacking away at it and trying to bring a bigger program back. What's going on, Johnny? So the latest update comes courtesy of Vincenzo Nibli, who's been speaking to Tuta Bici and has sort of confirmed in a roundabout way that there are 23 riders attached. Sorry, also to say Nibli isn't going to be riding for them. He's the technical consultant, um, whatever that means. I don't know. I have no idea. I guess it means it's a stepping stone for him after the end of his career. He's quoting the piece as saying what it means that he's had to be responding to loads of emails and that's really getting on top of him. So it's kind of a nice introduction into the real world uh, for Vicenzo Nibli. Uh, welcome. Um, and so yeah, 23 riders, sort of guys from all over, a lot of Italians. Jack Bauer and Damien Housen are sort of the surprise names that Kip, Kip sort of was like, what's going on there? Mark Donovan is a, a British guy who's coming over from DSM. Um, and they're going to be, I think they're going to be called Q36.5, which is of all of the cycling team names that are currently out there is definitely sort of the least rolls off the tongue easy, um, which personally I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> so they make clothing. Q360, 365. How do you say it, Ronan? I, th- I, th- I believe it's Q36.5. It's to do with oh. body temperature, isn't oh. it? <laughs> it's easier to write, Johnny, than Intermarché Wanting Materia, uh, whatever. I see I got lost. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's quite an easy name. It's quite easy to write, <laughs> which is important for me. It's just, it's just like, it, you, like when you get to the end of Intermarché's name, it's like you've actually like done some work. And there's some graph okay, going into enough. it. <laughs> Whereas I'm like finding out that this team is like named after the temperature of the human body is just infuriating. And also, like if they want to, <laughs> if they're trying to get advertising, like and awareness for their brand, the Americans aren't going to know what it is because 36.5 mm-hmm. is in Celsius. So maybe I should be oh. hired as a consultant as well or something alongside <laughs> Vincenzo. Yeah, we need we need uh, what's what did, what's the human body temp in Fahrenheit? It's like 98, 98.8, I think 98 something. Maybe so when they be go a translation for 98.6, yeah. I think, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Which, again, returns to my long-standing uh, argument that Fahrenheit is a, better, <laughs> is a better scale than Celsius. And it's the only place that Imperial is better than metric. I'm Maybe sorry, when is. they go over for the Maryland Classic, they can, they can change their team name. You know, like how for the tour, sometimes there's a different kit or a different 
strip or something. Do, here's a, a sorry, just a question: If we are writing about this team next year, do we have to like put brackets in the Fahrenheit equivalent after the? <laughs> <laughs> That is that is cycling tip style. Uh, we try to be as international as possible. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that. No, I think so. I think not. I think not. We could just tr- we could just put it in Fahrenheit for them. They'd probably love that, wouldn't they? As they're a pro Conti team, there's a very good chance it's going to be Q36.5 slash everything else that mm. a possible team could come up with. So we, yeah, it might get more tricky. Well, we'll be keeping a, a close eye on this project. You know, for all the sort of um uh, unfortunate events that went down with the end of Doug Ryder's last world tour project. It's still it's still done a lot of good, that team, and continues to do a lot of good. I mean, the development program has, has done some amazing things, and it's it's a in general a program that we really we we can get behind. <laughs> I think you know, if you compare that mission to the mission of some other teams, uh it, 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 you know, it's in the top half of missions to support. That is, that's absolutely true. So we'll keep an eye on this story for you and we will let you know what else goes down, but it is time to move on to our next little, little news bit. So over the weekend, uh, we, we had the highly prestigious and always fascinating. Uh, I shouldn't say always. It's the first year. I, I think. think it's the first year uh, of the Singapore. This is, <laughs> <laughs> the the Singapore Criterium, which uh, for those who have never heard of it, it's roughly the same as like the Saitama Criterium that happens at the end of the year, which I think happens this weekend. We've now got extra weekends of silly crits in Asia. Uh, Johnny, first and foremost, who won the Singapore Criterium? One of his biggest wins of the year. It was uh, Tour de France victor Jonas Vingago, who in the official ASO press release that landed in my email inbox on Sunday morning, I think, just said Vingago, strong as a lion, uh, <laughs> which makes about as much sense as these criteriums. But they are amazing. Like you j- All you have to do is really watch the little clips they post on, on Twitter and the, the, t- the official Tour de France account treats it as if it's like stage seven of the tour. And they'll be like, <laughs> watch Jonas Vingago attacking and Chris Froome's on his wheel and then Vincenzo Nibli jumps across, but Mark Cavendish hasn't made it. But Mark Cavendish somehow managed to win the, the intermediate sprint, so he's got the green jersey. And it's, it's just fantastic. It's a great way to sort of fade out of the season in some sort of fever dream where everything's mangled in your brain and then it becomes a bike race, but it's not actually a race. <laughs> There's a great little moment in one of the towards the end of the race in one of the videos. Enric Mass gives Froome a little bit of a push just to get him back on the wheel of the five line um, <laughs> sprint train. <laughs> Surprised the UCA didn't clamp down. Oh wait, no, this uh, it's not a UCA race. Is it? <laughs> Definitely not. No, no. Pushing is not prohibited. No. <laughs> Have any of you ever been to these? No, I'd love to go though. No, not no. So not ne- in neither- Singapore or but I've been to a couple in Belgium. Yeah. So I, I haven't either, and for a long time we always got invites to the Saitama one, um, but I just was never. I think like this is back my my Velo news days. I think Hoodie went a couple times, and and our former editor in chief John Bradley went one time that I that I, wa- I wanted to go. Uh, I would love to. I would just love to go. Like it, would, it just sounds so entertaining to me. I mean, it is literally. It's like the WWE of bike racing, where the whole thing is planned. They know who's going to win, but at the same time. Like I, I'm for, uh, to be very clear, I don't know anything about wrestling. 
at all. But I, what I like more than the rest of us probably have, have I've watched it enough to know, you know, that things are planned, the moves are kind of like set up, right? But at the same time, incredible feats of athleticism, right? Like they do flips and land at each other and do giant jump off the springy ropes. Anyway, <laughs> my wrestling knowledge is just tip top. Uh, but it's it's kind of similar in in these in these crits because Johnny, you were saying before we hit record that like like all the locals got dropped, right? They're still going forty five k an hour for an hour. It's just that for the tour riders, like they do that for six hours a day for twenty one days, it kind of puts into perspective like how good these guys actually are, right? Like they're in the middle of their off season. They've been on the beers for for two weeks now. They probably have. They probably have not ridden for a couple of weeks prior to showing up and doing these these events, right? They don't really care, and yet they still are just that just that good that they can essentially get rid of any any local. And it would it wouldn't matter where you stuck this race, right? You could stick it anywhere in in the U.S. or in the U.K. and all the local hotshots straight out the back. It's <laughs> just absolutely straight out the back, which I love. Yeah, I it also love- just looks like a great party the whole weekend. I mean. To, uh, Mark Cavendish was certainly having a good time, and um, the rickshaw ride that. Uh, oh yeah, I guess I think it was the what five or six marquee riders that were there. So Valverde, Nibali, Froome, Fingergo, Cav, um, riding around their rickshaw drivers in uh, on the side of the or was it a trishaw? I, I'm not sure. I think it, they were not quite rickshaws, but anyway. Um, and then what uh, is the difference? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. see, I thought they were rickshaws, and then I saw somebody d- label them as trish, or uh, it's just a slight, it's like side saddle rather than in front of, or something like uh, that. Um, not side saddle, furi- as in a side furiously cart. Furiously Googling, furiously Googling <laughs> types of shaw. Uh, it, it was kind of like the they were seated on a side cart rather than behind the, the pedaling part of the machine. Anyway. Um, well, well described. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a trishaw has two wheels in the front and one wheel in the back, and I think a rickshaw has two wheels in the back and one wheel in the front. Okay, so I'm wrong. I could be very wrong about that. Tweet at us with the correct <laughs> definitions of trishaw versus rickshaw, please. I would like to. I would like to find out what on earth is happening. In uh, in, in the in the in like the Saitama ones that we often get, um, we get like sumo. We get like Chris mm. Froome in a sumo suit. Uh, it's not really a suit. It's a I, lot, I less, it's a lot less than a suit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Anyway, we always get fantastic, fantastic pictures. So report back uh, next week when we when we describe Vingegaard beating Froome in the uh, sumo wrestling competition. Yes, oh, I cannot wait. Plus, it's just like cyclist and sumo yeah. outfits. It's just a there's a, <laughs> a a vision in limbs. And and elbows and knees going everywhere, and I just love it. I love I love this time of year. Like, there's always people that get kind of like angry at these races mm. for some reason. Like, like they're like it's because it's fake. It's like stealing something from professional cycling. And to those people, I say, take a deep breath and just accept these things for what they are because they're fantastic and they're entertainment. And that that's all we're really asking for. Probably unlike in these ASO. Um, Criteriums, but certainly the post-tour crits in France and Belgium, that they are almost always scripted. Uh, and before the start, the, the riders involved will get around and they'll make out a plan. And it'll be as detailed as on such and such a lap, this guy can make a la- an attack for a lap and then the another guy can make an atta- attack for a lap. But you all get caught and they end up the yellow jersey wins. 
but from time to time, they there they it will happen that they cannot agree on a script. In which case, it is just absolute chaos. Say there's a local writer who wants to win, but the yellow jersey also wants to win, and the green jersey also wants to win. Well, then it is a proper race. Then so it's not always <laughs> it's not always 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 scripted. That was going to be my question. Is uh, was there is there a writer's room like is there a table read beforehand and and if there is <laughs> is it like for this one in Singapore was it discussed and agreed that they would drop the local riders because all of these big stars are getting paid like handsomely to turn up and do their thing and if so that's it makes it just even more uncharitable which I kind of I kind of like to be honest it's kind of I I would imagine that there was some sort of mention within the script that it should be the leading writers coming towards the the finish on their own and that there's you know <laughs> there shouldn't be any upsets let's say <laughs> where the local writer is capable of beating the tour de france winner it it uh it should probably reflect their world rankings let's <laughs> say so they uh, they may not have been dropped because they just simply couldn't keep up they may have been dropped because yes they were also paid maybe not quite as much but paid at least something to be involved in this show uh, and if they wanted to be involved in future, they probably need to do what they've been asked to do. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the speeds in question, right? 45 kph, 27 and a bit miles per hour. You you could see, like I said earlier, you definitely conceivably drop a whole lot of local riders at a crit at 27 miles per hour. That's still pretty fast. That's a pretty fast hour. Uh, I would wager this probably like a 50-50. Some of them get dropped because they got dropped and some of them get dropped because they were supposed to get dropped. There's probably... You know, everybody knows what's going on here. Everybody knows what's going on. And and everybody, you know, like you look at the fans on the side of the road, everyone's excited. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Anyway, uh, the, the only part that did kind of strike me as particularly cruel was that Simon Geska had to wear the KOM jersey. You stole my line. Yeah. <laughs> <I can. laughs> yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Anyway, we uh, will keep obviously a very close eye on the Saitama Criterium coming up this weekend. We will let you know how that one goes down. I think at some point we need we need to Johnny. I think you need to reach out to ASO right now and yeah. request an invite for next year because what I actually want, I want to be in the writers' room. Mm. We need to figure out we need to figure out how this how this actually goes down. I don't think they're going to let us in, but we can try. I want I want to figure out how this actually goes down, and then we can compare notes. We can say, well, did they actually follow the script? Did they <laughs> who who went rogue? in the Saitama Criterion. To be honest, I was going to get in touch with them anyway, just because I want to find out who's writing the press releases and just ask like if they've been told to, <laughs> to sort of dress it up in this abstract fashion and and if they've been told to like report it seriously. Because I don't I don't really know what that adds to the whole thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just makes me look I mean, a little like, bit you, silly, maybe. But I think you ha- like you have to, right? Mm. I mean, you know. In wrestling, they still talk about the winner. Yeah. They still they still hold they still hold a guy's arm up and and give him a belt and and all the rest. And uh, I, <laughs> I did notice that our our friends and colleagues over at Vela News uh, they wrote up a little report on this. They did quite carefully, it seems, uh, not use the term winner anywhere in the headline. They just said crosses the line first, uh, which I think is an accurate an accurate description. Maybe that's that's how we have to treat it as media. But I'm I'm okay with ASO, you know plumping it up a little bit i like your whole wrestling analogy i think next year we should have just like a, a no holds barred cage cage criterion yes a caged criterion <laughs> <laughs> have fake crashes like have guys whacking each other with saddles just 
<laughs> no. No, if you're going to do it, do it, go full on. Like. I, I think we should follow follow this up with, because Chris Froome came second, so we should follow up with a very sincere, what does this mean for the rest of you know Chris Froome's next season? <laughs> second. That's true. That, <laughs> oh, fifth tour in Johnny, I love it. So, <laughs> so what if we did that next year? What if we, so, so just, you know, for, for our listeners out there, like ahead of a big race, we all have an, an edit call, which actually we have shortly after this podcast for this week. We sit down, we say, all right, what races are coming up this weekend? What are the different angles we can take on them? Johnny, you're going to take this angle. Kit, you're going to take this angle. Ronan, you're going to take this angle. What if we did that for the Singapore Criterium and the Saitama Criterium? And we wrote like very earnest mm. think pieces, but now like deep analysis, maybe a gift piece kit. We could do a gift piece. Oh. Like the moment the race was won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if there's enough, uh, actually, I was going to say if there's enough broadcast available, but it is actually broadcast, two hours of it are broadcast from 6am. So am I getting up at 6am on Sunday then? <laughs> sure uh-huh. are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think our audience in particular would very much appreciate that. I think Should we'd I do also, a race report? <laughs> yeah, I think we'd also all get invites next year if we do this. Well, so this is true. It's just long-term planning, really. Just as long as they're not too sarcastic. Hmm. No, it, it deadly serious. the idea? <laughs> deadly serious. Yeah, hundred percent serious. serious. We, I mean, we've got Saitama this weekend. We yeah. can we can do this. We've we. So, so listeners, dear listeners, if you see this happen this weekend, it's because we've we've just gone off the deep end and we decided to actually <laughs> actually do this very dumb idea. But it is time to move on. We've talked about the Singapore Criterium enough for this morning. How do we manage to do this? We're twenty five minutes in already. We haven't even talked about the, the tour yet. Uh, the tour, the tour route was announced last week to much fanfare in Paris. And, well, it's a fascinating, fascinating route. Who wants to kind of like sum up what it means, what it all – initial thoughts for me? Kit? Well, I mean, and I wasn't – I don't think I was even – well, yeah, I was far from the first to pick this up, but um, it's very – reminiscent of the uh, demarcation line uh, that separated France during 1942 and 43. Um, so separating the occupied zone with free France. It, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's so close that it can't be accidental. Um, except that I suppose there is a kind of, you know, there are ridge lines along there and you've got a, a route that takes in a lot of hills, but by the same token, it misses out quite a lot of France. Um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because I think personally, as Kaylee said at the beginning of the podcast, I think it's quite an exciting route or it's got, certainly got the potential to be exciting depending on who turns up, who's injured, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic and coming after this year's tour, which still may be feeling quite, the, you know, the excitement still lingers because it was so good in my opinion. It's not going to be as good as this 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 year, but there, I think there's a lot to like about it, um, and it seems to be, be quite better. imaginative. I think. The, yeah, so it is a very it's a fascinating route because it, like you say, it doesn't go north in any way. Uh, I don't. It there's we can't see any obvious reason for them to have a World War II connection, uh, except Ronan's waving his hand, so maybe he does. What's what? Why? Why? The obvious thing that jumped out to me when I looked at the route, and I'm not joking, I'm actually serious, was that it looked like they are actually considering how many electric vehicles they have on course now and keeping the distances between starts and finishes and finishes and the next start 
relatively short, but I am plucking that out of the sky. It seems like a logical enough idea for why there's yeah. no huge, huge transfers that is like fair enough. had yeah. previously. I mean, we have discussed this is this is all pure speculation. We we have discussed trying to do an EV at the tour before, and I have done the math and it's impossible. Uh <laughs> like it, it would maybe be possible if we were uh if we were like a team and you knew exactly when you were going to get to your hotel and you knew that that hotel was going to like have electricity and, <laughs> and things like that. But for us with our sort of uh, we don't get taken care of quite as well by the ASO. Uh, it would, it, we would, we would end up in a field somewhere uh, for sure, but maybe I'll have to redo that math this year. Uh, Cause I would love to do it without, without burning, you know, 5,000 kilometers worth of worth of diesel. That would be great. There are still some big transfers in there, but the the number of them is from what from a quick glance that I've had at the map is much fewer. Uh, and there's certainly no like Denmark to France to Belgium yeah. to Luxembourg to Belgium to France all of you. Yeah. So there there seems to be a lot closer together. Yeah, I mean when I was looking through it, the the real issue was when uh starts and finishes were particularly far away and then in particular if the next day's start was was quite far away as well where like basically if you missed one night's worth of charging you were you were doomed um but oh, i'll have to i'll, I'll have to take I, now I, also I, worth noting that last year already the tour had a special trailer that came on on tour also to charge aso's electric vehicles right uh, it was usually outside the press room uh, so they've kind of, you know, they got that ticked off for themselves. This, this it was basically a horse trailer had, uh, I can't remember exactly how many charges built into it, but it was capable of charging, say, seven or eight cars at one time. But there's a heck of a lot more than seven or eight cars on the Tour de France. For anybody who hasn't been there, there's maybe seven or eight hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's an interesting thought, Ronan. And I, like I said, I will. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the math on that and see if it's feasible. Because, I mean, it depends on the vehicle you get too, right? Like. If we get if we get one that'll go, you know, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand kilometers on a charge, then then all of a sudden it becomes a lot more, a lot more feasible. But I want to talk about the actual sort of bike racing aspects of the route, uh, because again, like the World War II thing seems quite random. Although you were right, Kit, that it, it it does kind of line up. The big thing is it just doesn't go; it misses a huge swath of of France, right? It it starts down in Spain, kind of cruises around through the Pyrenees for a little bit. Um, Opening stages similar to San Sebastian, um, then heads slowly north, but cuts right very early, cuts east very, very early, and makes its way across the Massif Central very, very early, and then into the Alps, and then up north. Uh, so what it does is, is it it avoids all of the flat bits of France, as well as the sort of like northwest windy bits, right, uh, and replaces them with just constant climbing it is it is absolutely constant climbing throughout the entire race and with very minimal time trial kilometers is it 22k of of tt am i remember that correctly it's it's the least amount of time trial kilometers in modern tour de france history so why do we think that is why do we think that aso has has gone this direction the obvious answer i think is like i don't know try to get david gadu to 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 win a Tour de France. Is that, is that, is it as simple as that? 
Or Roman Bardet. It's still not going to happen, though, is it? <laughs> no. no, it's not. No, I, I mean, Roman Bardet, I, I was having a quick look at the um, TT this morning, and it's quite a long way away. Uh, it's quite a long way, long time since this last use of the area uh, in a time trial. But in, in 2016, um, Bardet came fifth in a time trial in the same area, taking in the same hill. Um, 33 seconds behind Chris Froome, who won that tour. Um, is it was a different time trial. It was just uphill all the way for seventeen kilometers. Um, but uh, I, you know, Bardet was on good form this year, especially at the Giro. So potentially with a uh, concerted effort, throwing everything at the tour, that's really good for him. Gudu wasn't really, uh, I don't know if it was even elite at that point, twenty sixteen. Um, but yeah, so I think it's the it's the closest that we've got to. French riders come and get it that we've had, which of course in past experience has not worked because they all crumble a little bit. Um, but it's, uh, I think, you know, although I think there's a very good chance that it's just going to be the two big hitters again, it is uh, as close as you can get to levelling the playing field with the current crop of riders. Even the time trailing that is in the course this year is, you know, most of the time trail is actually uphill. And if you're looking for any clues as to, you know, why they've gone this specific route, I try to, uh, because they don't give you the exact route details, they just tell you, this stage will start here, it'll finish there, it has X amount of elevation. I tried to plot the route for the climb based on the elevation proof, or for the time trial based on the elevation proof I've given to us by ASO. And the climb that it takes in is actually called Rue Bernardino. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, this is they're de- they're definitely they've definitely got the French contenders in mind with this time trial. The fact that there's so little of it, the fact there's even the few kilometers we have involve so much climbing. Um, yeah, and I think I think you're right, because It's it's probably Roman Bardet more so than Godot, even though Godot finished fourth this year, wasn't it? Yeah, but he didn't start the Giro. Godot, he was more he was all in mm. for the uh, tour. I mean, it feels to me. One, you know, we always joke about the French building, building a route for the French. It is their race. I think that, that, that that's, that's kind of OK. In fact, given the, the amount of time since we've had a French champion, I would say do that every single year. Right. Like I would love to be present for a French winner of the Tour de France. Nothing would make me happier at this point. That said, I think we're all on, on the same page here in that it does. It doesn't really matter what course you build. Roman Bardet is probably not dropping Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingago anywhere, uphill, downhill, flat, anywhere, right? However, if you are trying to sort of create the, at least the the best possible chance, this this route is what that looks like, right? There, If you put a bunch of time trial kilometers in there, you are absolutely guaranteeing that none of the current French hopes come anywhere near victory let alone like even a, even a podium becomes very 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 difficult right i think they would take a podium at this point uh and from that perspective this route makes perfect sense it, you know it, even if it's intended to get roman Bardet in third or it's intended to get him into second if if fingergo or pogaccio have an issue uh which again the tour de france is the tour de france the the chance of getting all the way through it without any problems oh do i owe Damn it. Uh, Euro in the jar already. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, we actually, we're almost to the end of the year, so I need to go and tally up and and figure out, for those who forget, uh, because I just used a terrible Tour de France cliche, I now owe a Euro. 
and we're going to donate all this to charity at the end of the year. Uh, anyway, I'm going to continue my thought, which is that it, this is it, I don't think that they're trying to get a tour, a, a, a tour winner. I think that they're realistic in that on that front, but they're trying to make a tour that is exciting for the French people which means having somebody anywhere even remotely close. And from that perspective, this route feels like it could be a quite effective one. And this year just gone, this tour just gone, they had um, and very quick calculations in the last five years. It was at least the most that they've had in the top 10, um, including Valentin Madua, Thibaut Pinot down in 14th. Uh, Guillaume Martin didn't finish, did he? But um, so he, he did, you know, as well as Guillaume Martin tends to do. Um, yo-yoing here and there and and certainly being a player in the race. So they're in a healthy position as far as French cycling has gone in the past decade. You've just teed up my next comment perfect, which I think what they're actually trying to do is create a Guillaume Martin course that you can just yo-yo from start <laughs> to finish. And there are lots of days of recovery in between mountain stages too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you know, and joking aside... I, I do think that is actually part of the planning with this route is to add in a healthy dose of sort of chaos where, you know, you've got the start in the Basque country, you've got the massive central, you've got how many stages in the Alps? Uh, and you've, you know, you've got a very short time trial that the sort of, let's say, less exciting riders can rely on. So, uh, you know, I think the Tour are hoping for a stage like we had this year where uh, Roglic and Vinigo both just attacked Pogaccia, you know, until they eventually cracked him. And I hope, I think they're trying to recreate that on countless occasions in next year's tour. The difficulty though is if it does prove to be that hard, what actually ends up happening is that the riders tend to get quite afraid by that and try to save as much energy as they can. And it actually has the opposite effect. And that's, you know, as we often say, it's, and I'm at risk of having a bit of Euro on myself here, but it's the riders who make the risk, not necessarily the the course that's a euro yeah unfortunately for you (laughs) do you think that still applies like that 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 thinking to vingago and pagacha because this year we didn't see that from pagacha when he was chasing the race he sort of he didn't save it all up for one big go he sort of did it every time like when peter sagan like was joking to vingago saying tally didn't have the balls to attack he attacked like that was it took as little as that to get him to go on the offensive but then he lost the bike race Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I think I think <laughs> I think I think we're going to find out this. I think we're going to find out this summer whether Pogaccia finds it more important, believes it is more important deep in his soul to be entertaining or to win the bike race. Uh, if we see him go all conservative, then we will know that he just wants to win again. If we see him race in very much the same way. Then the opposite, right? And personally, I'm hoping for the for the latter. I'm hoping that he just continues to to throw caution to the wind. But I I worry, uh, I worry that he'll you know either he will or the team will sort of lock him down, and he will choose one big moment or something like that, and it will make for a much less interesting tour. I do have a slight problem with this route, uh, and that and and I'm you know surprise surprise I think there should be more time traveling, but hear me out on this one i think <laughs> no I, th- I, I my my reason for more time trailing is i think it should at least be a prologue or a team time trail on the opening day to sort the race out a little bit we all remember Brittany a couple of years ago and it was just absolute chaos 
And we're going to have the same situation on similar roads around the Basque Country, around classic San Sebastian roads that descent off the Yaiskabel or Yaiskabel or whatever it's called. We've got we've got a while to figure out how to pronounce that properly, but we do need to figure it out. <laughs> you know, the, every year in classic San Sebastian, that descent you know impacts the race in one way or another. And now what we're going to do is we're going to send the Tour de France peloton into that stage with nobody in yellow, no control in the race, everybody thinking they have a chance. And even those who don't have a chance because of the climb will be working for the rider on their team who they think does have a chance on small, narrow, twisty roads. And yeah, I, I, I think now is not to try and cause trouble or anything, but two years ago in Brittany, we had everybody complaining on the actual week of the Tour de France before and after every stage. Now we've got a bit of time for the pro teams to actually tackle this in a different way than we usually have in cycling. We usually wait until there's a problem and then complain about it. You know, could is there an opportunity here to actually work proactively with ASO and try and get a route that isn't going to lead to people getting badly injured at the Tour de France, which nobody wants to see? Yeah, that first week is going to be nuts. I mean, yeah. I, Basque, Basque Country is notoriously one of the most difficult one-week stage races on the planet, right? Uh, even even though it's maybe not as high profile, some others is not as high profile as like a Paranese or a Dauphiné or something, because it is just that the terrain makes it so so hard down there, and it, it's going to be, well, as you say, there's there's these like interesting pinch points. The Iskabel on on day one, it's going to be madness of a very different sort, I think, to the Brittany start, for example. Not dependent on weather, just gravity. Uh, gravity and the size of the roads and the and the quality of the road surface and all the other the other things that make Basque Country so so difficult. And everyone's going to think that they have a chance to be in yellow in twenty one days time, um, or at least far more than usual. Um, as delusional as some might be, um, but that's another thing. I mean, yes, it would be fantastic if in nine months' time. Roman Bardet, David Godou, Guillaume Martin, Egan Bernal even, Richard Carapaz, if they're all on top form, nobody's fallen off the bike, even Jonas Vingegaard and Tadej Pogacar. Um, if they're all in top form, then we should have a really good race if nobody hedges their bets and keeps their cards close until the last week, which would be a real shame. Um, but um, it's, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, those first few stages, I, I looked at them and thought, oh, yes, no, no, none of those nonsense 200 kilometer uh, sprint stages when we all snore for three days having looked forward to the tour for 12 months um, but yeah it uh, has potential to ruin the Tour de France before it's even started maybe that's being really negative but it's going to be yeah it's going to be nerve wracking for everyone including us watching I'll add in a tiny bit of negativity to take away from yours I don't understand why after both Monday rest days they return to the town of the rest day for the start of Wednesday stage. So we go back to Clermont-Ferrand two days after the rest day. And then at Saint-Gervais-Mont uh, Blanc, we also go back. Why? Is that another environmental thing? Because then the, uh, the team trucks can stay put for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and mechanics don't have to go anywhere. And the hotels can be the same, I, potentially. I mean, that was my first thought. Is we're basically, we're going to book four or five nights uh, mm. in the same place, which is unheard of. I mean, you guys have, have well, sorry, Kit, you haven't come over yet. Uh, Ronan, Ronan and Johnny have covered a tour with me. We try to stay in the same place as much as we possibly can, mm -hmm. right? We we got, I think, three nights with one of the rest days last year. That, but that's like the most you ever get is three nights, right? To get five, 
is mm. pretty amazing. Uh, and yeah, cuts down on cuts down the driving, cuts down on the truck driving, cuts down on everybody having to move around. I think Fair it's. I, I mean, from from my perspective, I like I don't mind that. If if I'll say it, this 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 race route is probably the closest to the race route I would build, given the <laughs> opportunity of anyone that I've seen in like the last ten years. Honestly, like I, you know, no enormous long transfer stages, climbs every single day, no time trialing. Uh, five days I, in Clermont Ferrand though. Five yeah, days. It feel, <laughs> five five <laughs> days in Clermont Ferrand is possibly too many. But you do get to watch a, a bike race. Approximately yeah. five too many days in Clermont Ferrand. Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, it means we don't have to move. We can like do laundry. We can do all the things that we that we like to do, Johnny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, the one thing I change about this route is put a time trial in Paris. Mm. Just and I, and it might be a damp squib. It, it probably would be a damp squib. But let's say if there was a time trial at the end, there would be a little bit more potentially nerves in the mountains, particularly between Pogacar and Vingegaard, let's say, let's just, you know, assume that they're in bubble wrap for 20 days. Um, and I just love the idea of having a Le Mans Fignol moment. Um, also, the sprint is, I just, I mean, I know it's nice to have the world championship of sprinters, but it's like, you know, you watch them drink champagne for three hours and then do a sprint. I like a time trial. I like the way the Giro finishes with a time trial. Um, so that's what I would do. That was my thought 20 minutes before coming on this call. I don't know. Mm. I like drinking champagne but, for three hours and then watching them sprint. It's great. <laughs> well, maybe this, maybe it was the difference between you guys sitting in Paris drinking champagne and me sitting at home ready to write a race report. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. So we need so we need to bring Kit to Paris this year. All right, noted. <laughs> a time trial on the last day means it limits Kaylee's time in the duplex that evening. Which, you know, <laughs> That's very true. Look, look out for your boss, Kit. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm, limiting time in the duplex might be a good thing. <laughs> it would also change the, the complete arrangement for the ASO, wouldn't it? It would put the press conference all on the final day, and maybe nobody would like that. So I, I, I appreciate would, I it's would, not a good idea. I but I agree. just thought this is the one thing that I might, you know, might be interesting. Also, I it might, like it. I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned that Wout Van Aert will think, I'm not sure I want to go, which would be a disaster for Vingago. But he's he said, um, that he's gonna go. That he's, he's he want the classics are the most important thing for him next year. That's what he said at this point. And you know, although we know that he can win on mountains um, and flats and time trial, um, it might. I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit concerned that he's gonna think, meh. But I've done that. Um, and there are quite a lot of really, really, really horrible mountains. Um, I don't know. This is my flight of ideas. The the one thing. I think, and perhaps some of the listeners are thinking that is missing is a real iconic summit finish, like Alpe d'Huez or Vontu or Houtecam or that's true, whatever it might be. But I actually think that might be a good thing uh, because, mm-hmm. like the time trials, so much focus gets turned on those, and so many riders are like either consciously or subconsciously saving themselves for those huge efforts. And you know, there there will be finishes that are incredibly tough. But at least if they haven't got the mythical nature of Abduez hanging over them also, might just open the race a little bit. We kind of saw that at the Vuelta this year, didn't we? We were all waiting for that altitude stage and then nothing happened. Um, Seen nothing at the Vuelta. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
the the cult of the lotus stage is going to be pretty amazing mm. that's one that that yeah. has uh i believe it's like closed to cars at the top it's like a it's like a it's the bike path one shoddy it, did a video that on that yeah miguel angel lopez yeah. won on two yeah. years ago and sep mm-hmm. had a great ride and and whatever else I might have to start putting a, a euro in the pot for saying Sepp Kuss because apparently we say it a lot, uh, which is my That's fault. That's the one that uh, <laughs> Primoz Roglic secured Tour de France victory. Oh, no. Oh, sad. <laughs> there, was a time, there was a time trial at the end of that year, and yeah, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's some amazing stages. Uh, we're, we're obviously, the intention of today was not to go stage by stage breakdown one, because we don't actually have all the details yet, right? We have we have profiles, but we don't have all of the details. And two, July is really far away. Uh, but that's 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 the gist of the men's Tour de France from us. Uh, very interesting course, very mountainous, very few time trials, potentially EV friendly. I think that's the only that's this is the only place place you're going to hear that take. I think. <laughs> But but true, but also very true, which is a good thing. I mean, we we've we've talked a number of times about how sort of not environmentally friendly the Tour de France is, and and our part in that. And so, if they are systematically making making changes to that effect, then that's a good thing, I think. But there's a whole other race at the end of the race this year, just like it was last year. Tour de France Femme is going to be another full week after the end of the men's race, but it's going to be slightly different this year than it was last year. And that, uh, we don't have the Paris overlap, for example. Um, but Tour de France Femme does include a Tourmalet mountaintop finish, which is fantastic. The Tourmalet is super, super, super hard and a time trial, two things that was missing last year. You, you would, you would think I'd be delighted to hear that time trial, but I just have this thing about week-long stage races having such time trials in them. It feels like if they want to do a time trial, it needs to be, you know, it needs to be an additional day. It can't replace a full stage. Is is my? It's the same with Tour de Suisse, Dauphiné, all these races. You know that we get throughout the year. I feel like they could have done the time trial in addition to having the road stages that we could have had. It's also one day after Anami Van Vluten takes two and a half minutes out of her rivals. Two and a half. I don't That's know. The tourmalade is brutal. Um, I, well, I don't. I think that everyone's hopefully going to upload it. Five, maybe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see the tourmalade on that route. It's it's the first mountain that I did without dying. I think um, it's very very difficult. They're going up the side, which often has landslides. So landslide victory for Annemiek Van Bluten. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> Just See, terrible. Badly prepared for that bit. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think th- there was quite a lot of criticism during the week about the stages that look kind of flat, which I don't think is strictly true. Although we know that Lorena Wiebes can sprint very, very, very fast. She's not necessarily... She is, like we've said before, uh, one of the only pure sprinters in the women's peloton. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe if Mariana Voss is on great form, she could win five stages. But I think yeah. it looks like another imaginative route. Um, I, I I don't think there's criticism to be weighed at it, really. I yeah. don't think the profiles or the paper view that we have of the the route for the Tour de France Femme does it any justice. I think those stages around the Massif Central, those the roads in that region are so tough. Uh, they're up and down, they're left and right. They're, the surface just has no... 
natural speed in it. I think you know those stages are going to be a lot tougher in reality than they look on paper. I think. Yeah, I see only. I mean, e- even on paper, I see only two that feel like very likely sprint stages because a lot of them if you if you if you go read just just check out the the stats on whatever the last climb of the day is you know the 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 one into Moriac which is, finishes with 3.4 kilometers at six percent like that's a that's, that's a climb, climb right mm-hmm. like that's a proper climb that, that's maybe not a uh, an anamic of gluten climb but it, it is a proper proper climb and most of them have something like that near the end we here we we've got the one into Rodez which is 570 meters but it's at 10 percent right near the end, right near the end of the race. So it, it is, it's not going to be a, uh, it's not going to be a Lorena Weebus, uh, just piling on the stage wins that, that is for sure. It's, it's going to be pretty fascinating races in all of these stages as is, as is sort of quite normal within women's racing are relatively short as well. So they're going to be pretty chaotic from the gun, going to be pretty exciting. And then we've got the Tourmalet, and this sort of final Poe time trial to to cap things off from a GC perspective. So what what it appears to me is that they were, yeah, they were trying to build sort of five, six days of Mariana Voss and others like her kind of stages, right? So maybe the yellow jersey changes hands a bunch of times. Likely, I would say, you know, the gaps are within 30 seconds, maybe within sort of bonus range, that kind of thing. And then you, and then you, at the very end of the race, you essentially decide the the GC, which, from my perspective, is is a pretty good way to do it. And if anybody stays anywhere near Anamique, at least they that you know, then there's a time trial the next day to to potentially swap things around. Now, granted, Ben Vluten is probably going to beat Demi Vollering in a time trial as well, but having those two things, I mean, I like a final day t- time trial. I don't. You all know that I don't love time trials in general. But they serve a purpose, and a final day time trial I think can actually be quite exciting. And a final day time trial in and around Poe is going to be very, very hard. Poe is somewhere we've been many, many, many times on the tour. It is not flat. <laughs> if you go north of there, it can be kind of flatter. But as soon as you go south and into the Pyrenees, it is not flat in any way. I don't think we've seen an actual route for this yet, but the uh, the profile brain's not working the profile does include at least one short climb um it should be pretty hard and and again i don't think the profile is probably doing it justice at this point because there's going to be lots of corners in there lots of twisty stuff the riding around there is phenomenal i've I've, I've been out on the bike a couple different times went there when when poe's been a rest day uh but it is not absolutely not easy and as you know kelly strange things always happen (laughs) in poe always happen in poe uh, it, but, and by um, strange, you mean doping positives. <laughs> What's happened? Well, <laughs> the last time the last time we were in Poe in 2021, we had the Bahrain Victorious uh, Police mm-hmm. raid. Nothing really ever came of that, did it? No. Nope. We also had Eddie Merckx for you know without introducing himself and for no reason pointing out my bald spot. That was weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and next year, the weird thing to happen in Poe might be that just it is. The end of Annemiek van Vluten's reign as the unbeatable writer that she is. I, I, you know, it may seem crazy, and I even wrote as such myself in that piece we did last week about who the winners will be for the the Tour de France 
E or Tour de France is or whatever. Uh, the multiple Tour de France's. Tours de, um, Tours de France. Tours de France, yep. yes. That's the one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's it's not uh, inconceivable that, you know, Anna Meek may, might not go as well next season as, she, you know, she is, as we all are, getting older every year. Um, she's just had a phenomenal season. Who knows if next year is going to be as good or not. But I do think crucially that, you know, the writers behind her, and especially Demi Vollering, is improving year on year. And, you know, Anime can't keep improving, whereas someone that bit younger like uh, Demi Vollering, I think, could well still be improving. And um, Ashley Moulman Passio is, you know, all right, taking on a development role, but is surely going to be her own writer to do her own thing next year and dropped Anamique in Tour Romedy recently. So, you know, while I did add to it myself in last week's piece, I I don't think it's as foregone a conclusion as we perhaps think it is. I think there's plenty to be excited for in next year's Tour de France fans. Yeah, and, and on the route, I mean, regardless of whether Van Bluten wins that penultimate stage and the race overall, I think the addition of the time trial, and, you know, the, yeah, you could criticise it if there is a two and a half minute, five minute gap, um, then... The yellow jersey will be wrapped up, but it does give an extra type of rider a chance to win a Tour de France stage. And that's what I think is has been great about these past two Tours de France Femme. Um, is yes, we had a couple of multiple winners, and we will again next year, I'm sure. But there are opportunities for all sorts of styles to come to the fore. And so Ellen van, van, Ellen van Dijk didn't really have much opportunity this past year. But she'll be targeting that final day time trial and any other time trialist will be doing the same thing. So it, it's that kind of, I don't know, it's kind of an, e- an equal opportunity to Tour de France. Stage wins. I just realized that, I don't know why this didn't occur to me before, but we're back in Clermont-Ferrand at the start of the Tour de France Femme. So I think, Johnny, I think we got to leave you on a couple extra days just so, you, um, just, so you, just so you get to experience even more time in our favorite French town. You know how this year, uh, when we, when you guys arrived at the tour and Mikey arrived in Calais and he was like, this place is just magical. And <laughs> I'm just envisioning, envisioning similar scenes in Clermont Ferrand and I'm just going to have to go for a long walk. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Me and, just me and that town don't get on. Mm. Just don't, yeah. n- doesn't I've, inspire anything. I've never been, but studied it extensively for leaving certificate geography. Uh, the whole Massif, Massif Central region, Clermont Ferrand, the whole works. Yeah. So, the not ride- volunteering to go, but just saying. <laughs> the riding is quite good around there. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, bring the bring the travel bike and get a, get a couple get a couple spins in. The I'm only okay with it. the only the home the home of Michelin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tires. The only place to plug in your laptop if you're trying to upload cycling media copy is an Irish pub, and there's only one seat in there where there is a plug that you can use. Um, so maybe that's where my my dislike stems from. Mm, good old Irish pub. Have you, have you learned nothing from traveling with me, Johnny? You bring an extension lead that has like multiple sockets on it, so you plug one in, and then you've got as many sockets as you need, and you could share them with the rest of the Irish pub <laughs> <laughs> and blow it up. <laughs> uh. We could do a whole podcast about stupid logistical problems that we run into at the, at the Tour de France. Well, it's going to sure be a long winter. Would love that. They would love that. It's going to be a long winter. Maybe we'll, we'll just we'll pepper them in throughout the winter. We'll just you know, top uh, journalism at the Tour de France tip here: bring multiple sockets. 
Anyway, Can we do a Claremont Ferrand. Just a Claremont Ferrand episode. Deep, yes, deep, we'll, deep we'll have five Claremont days Claremont of it next year, so we shouldn't. We should yeah. save that. <laughs> we're gonna have a yeah, we'll have a daily podcast, and we're back from the same <laughs> bar in Claremont Ferrand. <laughs> uh briefly, you wouldn't find me in an Irish pub. So we 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 did have a we had a we had a nerd nugget for today, uh, but I'm gonna skip it because we're at an hour. With that, I'm gonna cut us off for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, as always, you know, go give us a review on the iTunes. Give us five stars. You can write anything you want, but you have to give us five stars. That's the rule. Uh, Why don't we make a deal? If anybody had thought of the EV connection to the Tour de France, then they do not have to give us five stars. But if they hadn't made the EV connection, they now must go and give us five stars, especially if they hadn't seen that or heard that anywhere else. I think I mean it was brand new information, to me, so you didn't even you didn't even yeah. put it on the run sheet. So you just you just chucked it at me. Uh, and we're going to close today uh, with an announcement that next week Kit is going to be hosting. Uh, on she had a dream about this. Apparently, Kit, tell us tell us about your dream. Oh dear. <laughs> well, I dreamt that I. Uh, was abandoned by these guys and hosted a podcast on my own. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then, I don't know, it's not that interesting. It was, you know, a dream. <laughs> and then somehow, you know, how time works in a dream. Some Three hours later, whatever that means, I realized I hadn't done a sign-off. So enjoy next week's podcast, folks. <laughs> you get to do the sign-off today. Oh, no. To make up for it. <laughs> oh, this is really cruel. I know. <clears throat> See, I'm losing my voice now. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>